All right, welcome you all to a special edition of the Breaking Protocol podcast. And I am in awe of the women that have gathered for this round table discussion on life and business online pre and post the coronavirus. So we have a really serious global pandemic that's going on. And I really wanted to gather some women that I highly respect that were doing business online before all of the mess went down. And they're doing it in a, a way that is with integrity and grace. And they have been helping women even before all of this. So I thought, why not get them together and let's just have a chat and talk about life like for real life and what business is like running a business online and what has changed, if anything. So I've asked each of them to join us because they are women in healthcare, business owners in the online space, wives, mothers, human beings living through this pandemic. And I thought it would be very, very important for us to hear like, what is it like, especially as some of you all are thinking about starting your own business at this time since all of the chess pieces have been removed from the board a lot of things that we thought we could or couldn't do before is like a non-issue so we really have an opportunity right now to decide what we want to do who we want to be and what we want our lives to look like 12 months from now when all of this is over so as we talk, I hope you see yourself in some of our stories, and I hope you look at the way we think about things as they're going on and that you'll be able to get something from it that will help you at least take the first step forward, because that's the biggest thing, taking the first step so that you can create the life and business you want. So we're going to talk about all of that, and I'm going to ask them at some point to give you their top tips if they were getting started today in their area of expertise. Just so you know who's in the virtual room with me, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves rapid fire style, name, healthcare degree, and what your business specialty is. And just tell us something fun about yourself. I'm Tavana Denise, physical therapist turned life and business coach for healthcare professionals and the founder of the Thrive Network for Women in Healthcare. I love all things purple, coffee, karaoke, and cycling. So we'll start with you, Tracy. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Hi, I'm Tracy Scher. I am a pelvic physical therapist by trade. I have a, a private practice called Scher Pelvic Health and Healing in Orlando, Florida. And I also have another business called Pelvic Guru, which we actually have a large global Pelvic Health Alliance membership as well. So I run an online membership and we also run courses as well through that. In terms of things I didn't think I liked were cooking. And I still don't like cooking, but I actually have learned that I'm much better at it than I thought. So I'm actually starting to develop a like maybe for cooking. And I have a 12 year old son who I absolutely adore and love cycling and just getting out in nature. Awesome. And I totally agree. I was like, I hate cooking, but then since I have to do it, I'm like, hmm, I'm not that bad. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, wait a second. What is this? Almost looks chef-like quality tonight. Usually not, but yes. Exactly. So I'm noticing some things. Too funny. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Shanda. I am Shanda Jolson. I am a former school-based therapist and orthopedic. Right now, I run the website Pink Oatmeal that shares ideas on motor planning and physical activity, gross motor and fine motor skills. I live in Minnesota. I have three kids, two, four, and six years old, and I'm running my website full-time with them home now. And I love warm weather, 
And I also don't like cooking. That was going to be what I was going to say, but, and really, really dislike meat. Don't put a slab of meat on my plate. That's my least favorite thing. Awesome. <laughs> All right, Karen. Hi, I am Karen Litzy, and I have a doctor of physical therapy, and I am the owner of Karen Litzy Physical Therapy, which is a concierge practice in New York City that I've had for the past decade plus. And I'm also the host of the podcast, Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart, which has been going strong for several years now. And let's see, things about me. I do agree with Tracy. I did not think that I was a good cook, nor did I enjoy it. But this is sort of pre-pandemic. I started getting into it more and more. And now I can just like whip up a full meal in like 20 minutes, even with stuff I didn't even know that I had in my refrigerator and pantry. So that's been very exciting. And I have, as of Thanksgiving this year, have stopped eating meat. I am only eating fish now, which I thought, oh, maybe I'll try it for the month of December. And now it's April and I've just kind of kept it going. And I definitely feel a little bit better and a little less sluggish than I did before. And right now I am spending the majority of my time in my 650 square foot apartment in New York City. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Amelia. All right. So my name is Amelia. I am a visibility expert and relationship facilitator. And what that means is I help my clients get more first dates in business and really get that no like, and trust factor going quickly. How I ended up doing that is by trade, I'm a registered nurse. And in that role, I felt very invisible. So I decided to learn how to use social media for more than watching cat videos. <laughs> and I, yeah, I started doing actually social media management, a, a couple things. Okay. Um, I also had student loans, like another round of student loans, and I didn't see working more shifts to pay them off. And I had friends who were in the virtual assistant social media management world, and I saw the income they were making. So I said, you know what, let me try to do social media management. And so now as a result of those efforts, I've been invited to speak to health IT marketers in Las Vegas, national hospitals, large healthcare systems, and, you know, other stages, podcasts. And I help my clients do the same, get them booked on podcasts, virtual summits, webinars, masterminds that have their best buyers. And tell us something fun about you. Oh, I love planning food tours, real or imagined. Now it's more imagined, but you know, those are fun too. <laughs> but yeah, food tours are my jam. Awesome. Meredith. Hi, I'm Meredith Kasten and I'm a physical therapist and I originally started out in orthopedics and then outpatient orthopedics and then I went into acute care and then I tried pre-wedding and realized I wasn't really into being a clinical PT. And so then I ended up starting a website called New Grad Physical Therapy with one of my coworkers, which then I ultimately ended up leaving. And now I have a website called The Non-Clinical PT, and I've been running it since October 2017. Started out as a hobby, sort of a passion project, and it's evolved into my main gig. And something interesting about me is that I have three cats. I guess that's not that interesting, but I did write and record an entire rock opera about them. And um, also, I want to jump on everybody's cooking thing and add to that same. I always thought I hated cooking because our household runs like really lean and we have very little food at a time. And now that we're actually keeping a decent amount of food here at a time, I realized that I'm not great at cooking, but I enjoy it more because there's more to work with. It's not like a pouch of tuna and some pasta, which is what I'm usually working with. That is too funny. <laughs> when all of this was starting to happen, my friend told me to go stock up. So I did. And every couple of days I would open the pantry and look and say, 
oh, look at all my food and close the pantry door. Cause I'm like you Meredith, like very lean. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. Jessica. Hi, I'm Jessica Drummond. I'm the founder of the Integrative Women's Health Institute, and we're essentially an online health and wellness education, health coaching certification um, company and, and school, really. We're technically a professional school, and it's a global school. I've been running it since 2009. And I also have clinical nutrition, health coaching practice, and increasingly telehealth, physical therapy in the last in the last month or so. Before that, I was just collaborating more with physical therapists. My background is I'm licensed in physical therapy and clinical nutrition. And right now I am, so I cook all the time. I didn't used to, I didn't learn how to cook until I became well, before I became a nutritionist, but not when I was in PT school, like my contribution was always slice and bake cookies at that time. <laughs> so there's been a big evolution. And honestly, right now I'm missing this one deli sandwich that I can't get. <laughs> so I'm just rolling with it, but we're used to cooking a lot. And uh, the other thing that I'm missing right now is being able to go to the beach. I live at the beach, but I'm super grateful that I just have a yard right now. Yeah. So, so awesome. You guys, amazing. So Jessica, you said you have run the Integrative Women's Health Institute since 2009, where you have that health coaching certification program, specialty courses around pelvic health. And so many women, I think, suffer from imposter syndrome and feel like they don't know enough to get started. Like, I have to get one more certification. I have to get somebody else to tell me what to do. Like, how did you have that challenge, first of all? And if so, how did you get past it? In some ways, I didn't have that challenge around this because, and I, I actually give a lot of credit to one of my early bosses who essentially, when I was like three years out of school or something, was like, you're going to go speak at CSM, pick a topic and figure it out, you know? And so I had a lot of education experience as a physical therapist. In fact, before that even, my like within the first six months of graduating from PT school, I was taking how to take students and, you know, and all of my first jobs. See, I graduated actually in a similar, well, a very different time from this, but work related, our market had crashed. So it was very difficult to get a job in PT the, the year that I graduated from PT school. I was one of only, we, I graduated in a class of like 34 people and there are quite a few people in that class and we were the number three PT school in the country who never worked in PT. They couldn't find jobs. Mm. So I was lucky. I found a job, but I basically was willing to do whatever the heck anyone wanted me to do because <laughs> I had student loans at the time and you know wanted to work. And my second job was even crazier in that I worked in a county hospital, which was literally like my first patient at that job was a person who had recently had a stroke and only spoke Spanish. And I was coming from a super like sports medicine-y kind of outpatient PT clinic. And I was only two years out of school. So many of my early experiences were literally just thrown in and figure it out. Like another job I had, I worked in an inpatient lung transplant floor only because it was next to 
the inpatient high-risk pregnancy. I was a women's health PT at that time and had been for like eight years. And all of a sudden they were like, well, actually we need you in high-risk lung and high-risk cardiac. And every day I was terrified. So I think that by the time I was doing this, it was so much easier than those kinds of experiences. I didn't have such like a life-death balance to deal with every single day that and, and the other thing that happened was at that point, I had a lot of sort of naysayers that everything I'm teaching is all quackery and things like that. There was a lot of quackery kinds of messages I was getting in through social media. Cause that was, like I said, like back in, you know, 2009 to 2011, functional medicine, functional nutrition wasn't a very hot topic at all. But I started this because I was really sick before that. And I knew just literally from a place of my own physical experience that these tools were something that I had to teach my colleagues. So I didn't have that space of fear around doing it, but I would say there was a lot of pushback. And for a while, I felt like I always had to justify it. Like I was, I was always throwing research papers at people and I went and got a doctorate in clinical nutrition. And, you know, I wrote books and I just constantly had the research when I was teaching. And the benefit to that, I think, was it actually, all the criticism truly made the courses that we created stronger. I think you're, um, you're right about that. And I think leading with you being having that mission and that thought that people need to know about this, sometimes it's okay to feel the fear. And if you can just lean on that okay, this will help somebody or people need to know about this, that it kind of helps you get over that, that step, even if you have not, like you said, Jessica, been thrown into the fire so many times that you have trained yourself to, that or to trust yourself that you will figure it out. And I saw Tracy, I saw you shaking your head when she was talking about naysayers and I call them haters, but I'm sure with your invent of Pelvic Guru, and I've had the pleasure of hearing you speak on this before. So I'd love for you to tell us what your experience has been with the naysayers and the haters when you step out on your own. And especially I think as a woman doing something differently. Yeah, I, I was definitely shaking my head because I've, I've known Jessica, actually we had one of our first jobs ever together 20 years ago. So I've actually known her trajectory and story. And then I stepped out into doing this kind of thing online about seven years ago or so, maybe actually eight years ago as a hobby. Okay. So I created a blog and I was so excited. It was like, well, I'm working at a hospital system at the time. I'm just going to create a blog. I came up with a name in about 5.2 minutes. It wasn't something I thought about in this long, you know, idea of a mission and vision of everything. It was just a blog I created. And I thought, huh, I'll just call it Pelvic Guru. I never said I'm pelvic guru. I didn't say I'm going to be leader of the whole world. I'm taking over all of pelvic health. It was simply a little blog that I was doing as a hobby. And what was fascinating is as I started getting traction with my little name, my pelvic guru name, I put a Facebook page up and suddenly I started getting all these followers. And I actually ended up getting more than the American Physical Therapy Association's um, section for women's health at the time. And so I had people contact me and say, why are you doing that? Why don't you just join efforts with the section on women's health. Why would you do this? And why would you do this on your own? What are you trying to prove? And again, I was just naive because I was excited that I was getting something started. And then I had people texting me saying things like, hey, are you calling yourself the pelvic guru? Or is it just a name called pelvic guru? I just want to understand if I, I want to know how I'm going to be following you or if I'm going to follow you. 
And I thought, wow, these are people that I really, these are good friends of mine who wouldn't just support me, but were as, as I, you know, they didn't say a thing when it was just this little thing, but as it started gaining traction and I was getting, now we probably have, I think 20,000 people following on one and 30 on another, 30,000 on another platform. And it was like, I started getting even friends who I thought would always be supportive saying things like, I don't know, I mean that name, I just don't like it. Or I wish, you know, I, are you trying to prove that you are the pelvic guru? And I thought that was so fascinating, right? That it was just this name that I didn't even know. It was a brand name that I came up with quickly. So at the height of it, someone even came up and said, I don't know that I can do a presentation with you. We were doing this huge presentation together and they basically had said something along the lines of, that name makes me want to vomit and I just don't want to be associated with it. Wow. So I went through a lot of internal struggle in the sense that, wow, I thought I would find people that are really supportive. And the truth is, and if I could now look back hindsight and even moving forward, is that keep going. You will absolutely 100% lose people who you thought were really close to you. I can tell you the people that I think are always close to me, even now, I'm going to reach another level where they may not be okay with it at that point. They may find something that they don't like about what I'm doing at that point but keep going because you will always make a big impact. At the same time I was hearing these negative things, there were people contacting me behind the scenes and in messages saying, your article you wrote for Pelvic Guru, that blog site actually saved my life. I did not commit suicide because of that article. Wow. And so for me, it was so much more powerful to show up. And again, imposter stuff is totally real. I questioned everything and you know, what, I can't have a site that says Pelvic Guru because that means I'm supposed to know everything or we're supposed to do everything. So absolutely, that will be there, but still, I guess I would say, have that, know that that will be there and still move through it, oh move my past goodness. it, because it is there. And I keep thinking at every stage, gosh, now I have this many followers and we've made X amount of money. Surely people will support me. And you'll see people that are there every step of the way. And you'll see people that are naysayers and haters every step of the way. Wow. And just keep pushing through. So I think that's interesting when we talk about names, and that's going to bring me to my two bloggers, my other two bloggers in the group. I want to go to Shanda. Tell us a little bit about how your blog got the name Pink Oatmeal, and then I'm coming to you, Meredith. One morning, I was home with my youngest, or my oldest, on maternity leave. He's six now. So I was on maternity leave watching the Today Show, and they are talking about blogs. I was like, oh cool. I'm going to start a blog. So <laughs> I literally went and I had put in pink something else. I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't oatmeal. And the domain name was gone. And I don't know if I was doing a word search or as a suggest, and I just took it. And my blog was about makeup, brush, cleaning, clothes, literally nothing to do with PT. I was just trying to learn a new skill. I wasn't trying to form any kind of business. Let me preface this by saying when I first went to college, I wanted to be in design and graphics and that kind of stuff. The adults in my life pushed me towards science and math. That's what I was good at. And I was 18 years old. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll go be a pharmacist. Then found out pharmacy is a good career, but not for me. And that's how I got to physical therapy. I liked as a physical therapist, but there was still that part of me that really still like some of that design graphic stuff. And I think that's how I got into the blogging world. And then my blog, having this baby, I would sometimes write posts. And these are mostly from my friends on development because I worked in the schools, but our schools were birthed to 21. So I service the whole gamut of it. And those posts were mostly from my friends who would ask questions in our baby class. And those were the ones that started to gain traction. And I was a little resistant. I'd go back and write about some other clothing or something. But then 
as I started to see that I was helping people and I was getting emails with questions and it started to evolve and evolve basically into what it is today, which is mostly just creating fun movement activities and giving ideas for fun ways to incorporate gross motor and fine motor skills. It very much evolved, but the name Pink Oatmeal is still there. I spoke with branding people and they said, don't switch. It's memorable. So Pink Oatmeal, because of watching the Today Show and deciding I'd start a blog one morning. Right. I love how you just let it evolve. You just kind of followed. So like, oh, this will be fun. Let me learn something new and just uh, try it out and see what sticks. And then like, oh, this is what's working. And then you went further down that path. And that's just amazing. It makes me think. And maybe that's why you and Meredith are such good friends with the whole design background. So Meredith, tell us a little bit about, I would love to hear because I read one of your your blog post, that's how I even found out about you, that now has over 500,000 views. And and I just looked this up this morning, it's like 536,000 views. So that's how I found out about you. But I also learned something fun about you. I think it was in that article. So tell us a little bit about your background before you got into physical therapy and tell us a little bit about how you got to what you do now. Sure, sure. Yeah, when I started out, when I graduated from undergrad, it was kind of around the recession and it was the 2001, we weren't in the best financial state in the US at that point. And so I didn't really know what I wanted to do anyway. I had a communications degree. So I took some web design classes and I ended up working as a web designer and graphic designer for a couple of years. But then I got this is not very professional. I got drunk at the company party like a young 20-something year old would do. And I was like, I can still do gymnastics like I could when I was a kid. And then I couldn't hurt my back. And then I uh, went to PT. And so it was a very unprofessional way to find myself in a PT clinic. And I never even knew what PT was. I had never heard of it. If someone had asked what PT was, I don't even know that I would have known what a personal trainer was. I was not a gym person, just definitely not my world. And then all of a sudden they made this miraculous recovery because I was compliant and like 25 or whatever I was. And so I made this miraculous recovery and this annoying back injury that had been nagging me for about eight weeks after the company party, all of a sudden was was completely gone after not very long in PT. And so that was this, we've talked about this, Savannah, I'm a type seven, so I'm a variety seeker. And I was like, ooh, new career. And so I started studying and took my GRE and did some shadowing and clearly didn't do enough. But I got into PT school. There was a program opening here in San Diego and ended up going there and was really lucky I got a scholarship. And that helped a lot with the debt situation. But basically that's what made me a PT. It was a very weird kind of almost knee-jerk decision, but I still love PT and I love the theory behind it, but I got into blogging mostly because I found when I had an injury and I needed to be off work for like eight weeks at one point, I ended up writing and blogging and kind of what Shanda was saying. I, I like had this decision that I was going to kind of have this hobby to keep myself busy. And that's where I realized, Ooh, I'm more, you know, I kind of miss doing what I used to do at my old job. I, I liked making the logo and I liked, I liked doing all of that stuff. And I just remember having a heart to heart at the time with my husband and he was like, well, at least put in five years and then we can discuss maybe doing something else. And during that time, I was like, I need to be strategic about this and not, you know, not just not, nothing wrong with baristas, but I didn't want to go and be a barista after all the time and energy and money and 
tears and all that that goes into PT school. So I kind of said to myself, if I'm going to do something else that's more creative or more bloggy or more designerly or whatever you would say, then at least I want it to use my degree somehow. So that's kind of where the seeds were planted. Mm -hmm. And I found out about you from that article where you were talking about burnout. And so Uh you use some of your background in your pre-physical therapy career to create the non-clinical PT and get get on the radar. I think that's interesting um, where some of us have talked about what people say either we should do or what we're good at. And Amelia, I know you have a story where you talk about how you, like, why did you go into nursing in the first place? Yeah, similar to what was said before, was heavily suggested by family. My mom is a registered nurse, and she said that she would pay for my school if that's what I did. And like around that time, I was, you know, when I had graduated high school, I had some friends who were um, getting into digital marketing. They were buying and flipping URLs and doing other stuff online. So it was like, okay, do I join my friends in this online world where, you know, I didn't know of people who were making full-time income back then, or do I get, you know, credentials and a job that we're all familiar with and, you know, mom can help me with my homework sort of thing. So that's what drove me to the safer route. So I thought of nursing. Yeah. And Karen, like, how did you, you have this So I hear Jessica started online in 2009 and Tracy started seven, eight years ago with the Pelvic Guru. And you were like one of the first physical therapists on the scene with a podcast with Healthy, Wealthy, Smart Podcast is wildly successful now. So what was your soiree into that? And what was it like starting it being like one of the pioneers for that in our industry? Yeah, I think I started it in 2011. So I think it was the first first PT that I know of, the first PT podcast. And the way that it started was it started as an online live radio show every Monday at one o'clock. And I rented space at a studio here in New York that was part of an online radio station. And how I started was a friend of mine was the host of a different show within that same network. He's a personal trainer and he asked if I wanted to come on to talk about physical therapy and what we do. And I said, sure. And the guy who was the producer of the, it's called Talking Alternative, but of the uh, online radio radio station said, oh, you have a nice voice. You seem smart. You want your own show. And I said, well, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Like I'd have to think about it. I might have to like rearranged my schedule a little bit if I want to be here Monday at one. And so it took about a month and then I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And when I started it, it was sort of a kind of general health and wellness show with this. I had friends on at first, some clients. And and then I started to have more and more physical therapists because at first I was like, who wants to hear about physical therapy stuff all the time? Like who just, and then as it turns out, like quite a few actually. And so at the time there were no things like if people are familiar with podcasting, um, you have to host your podcast somewhere. So you might host it on Anchor or Blueberry or Libsyn or something. That was not a thing then. So I had to write the code to take my recording from the weekly show and put it onto my computer and then code it into a website to then put it up onto iTunes, which was just starting out as a thing. So I had to do all that. Like I got help for the first one. And then I remember I just had like a huge like checklist of everything I had to do. So I had to do all that back end work 
to put it up now with Libsyn, you record it or Anchor, I know you use Anchor, you record it, you upload it, you press a button and it poof, magically appears everywhere. Or you have yeah. your intern do it. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was not the case back then. I had to do every, all backend coding and all this other stuff. And then I did an online summit for physical therapists in maybe like 2012, maybe 2013. And I did it all from my computer. And I thought, well, if I can do this, then I could probably do the show. And then I, I left because I was paying to rent that space. So when I did the podcast in the beginning, I wasn't, not only was I not making money, I was spending $100 a week to rent the space to put out good content for people. Mm. Then I realized I can do it from home and I'd save the money and slightly more work and not as good audio in the beginning. But, you know, over the years it has evolved to now it's sort of like a space where healthcare meets business. And just like everyone else said, you kind of, you took your interests, what interested you so if it was nutrition or pelvic health or design or helping people in the web space or helping, you know, moms with children, it was the same thing. It just has evolved into what it is now. And it's been, for me, changed the trajectory of my career because of the podcast. I'm able to meet some pretty amazing people and have been fortunate enough to speak at conferences around the world. And it's really fun. Yeah. And, and for me, like a, an education with every single episode. Because yeah, I think you, so you say something very important where you were willing to, even in the beginning, when you weren't sure about this podcast, this online radio show, and willing to invest $100 of your own money every week just to put out free content that people would consume. So I'd love to ask any or all of you, like, what is something that you were willing to invest in or do in the beginning that was incredibly challenging, even though you didn't have the successful business that you had today, but you were willing to do it for the business or for your mission or your dream or, what, or just because you were interested? Well, something I was willing to invest in early was coaching. And I just have to thank my friends who started their own business in 2007, social media management, digital marketing. They now work with Google and Facebook as clients, Oracle as clients, but helpful for them, success factors. I talked about getting a coach, you know, people who know more than them, people who are further along with than them, people who did what they did, but could offer an outside perspective. So that was in 2007. So when I started my business officially in 2016, the first thing no brainer was to invest in a coach specifically around the topic of sales. So I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and I know that a lot of people can kind of be shy when it comes to earning revenue for their business or actually making money. And that could be a challenge. So that's how I knew, like, you know what, before I even really get started, I need to get coaching and support and sales. But yeah, it was pretty early on. Awesome. Anybody else want to take that one? I would say for me, one of the early things I had to do was get on video. And sort of like what Karen's saying, in 2009, 2010, 2011, that was a lot harder than it is now. Like the camera quality, I had lighting. I was like literally on a three season back porch. And the other thing I did was I went to all these like kind of local networking things and I happened to be wearing the right color shirt. So when you're on TV, you have to wear jewel tone clothes and like real TV. And so I met a producer because I was wearing this like orange shirt who was like, okay, I want you on my show. Cause like, this is going to look good on TV. And 
So I agreed to do all of these random Connecticut morning news, like segments about things like, you know, male hormone cycles at like seven o'clock in the morning on Saturday. I had to cook on TV, which is incredibly hard. We talked about like, I didn't even know how to cook hardly. And now I'm like trying to cook on TV. You have to bring all your own stuff. This is not like Julia Child. They don't have it set up for you. You have to show up there in your jewel tone. You have to cook really fast with all this sort of preset stuff. You have to bring like dishes that are different sizes. And I was super, super fortunate. I met this woman who was like a friend of a friend because I did this little demo in someone's house. I was like so hustling in the beginning. And she happened to be the producer for Diane Sawyer. She literally had an Emmy in television. So she came to my house and taught me how to cook on TV, which is an incredibly challenging thing to do. So I think it was about just like showing up and being willing to be doing super stupid things that I had no idea how to do on video from the very beginning. Wow. Tracy. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I love hearing that. I totally agree with investing in coaching. I think absolutely it makes sense, Jessica, for you to just show up and you won't believe what happens from that. There's the other darker side of all of this, which I think is worth sharing, is that I have lost a lot of money, okay? And it's because I invested in things. It's because I showed up and realized, oh no, this was not where my money should have gone. But in the end, you still come out of it actually learning something or you hope you learn something from it. And I know it sounds cliche to say even in your failures you learn, um, but I spent, I mean, I took everything I had and put it towards, we have a global directory and I put a lot of money and a lot of failures happen where we had the wrong developers and we had to hire three different development teams by the time we finally finished this thing. And I realized that my people who were all in my membership loved my directory and they loved what was going on and we're still using it to this day. But the amount of money and time I spent towards that project actually could have been directed in other ways. We could have certainly had a directory, but the way I did it was, I mean, I've learned exceptional amount of how to work with developers. Now, if anyone wants to know how to set up the right development team and work with people in that space of computer programming, let me know because I learned a lot through that. I also had a big failure with, a, I tried to do a, my first big marketing push, spent $32,000 and lost it all. Every single cent gone. We can't use any of the information, was not able to get it back based on the contract I had signed. So all that to say that Actually, we made it up in different ways, though, because I ended up doing my own marketing because I said, you know what, I can't afford to market again. But now I learned at least enough of what doesn't work to now do what can work. And we were able to turn it around and make a lot more from that experience. Sure, I wish I had that money back. But the idea is, I think the biggest thing I can say is don't be afraid to invest, but also know that you will have some failures. And I think that stops some people because a lot of people would have said, oh my gosh, I just lost $32,000. This was everything I had. So I can't move forward anymore. That was just too scary. And yeah. I think it was just basically figuring out how else I could show up. So not every investment is going to be the best thing. I've learned a lot about contracts too, about not giving someone 32,000 upfront, rather each segment of their work, do it that way. So I've learned a lot, right? And, and you think that this is someone I knew for many years, someone I it was reputable and I trusted so much with my heart and would have done anything for that person. And you realize it doesn't matter. A contract is a contract, right? So if I could say still invest, but know that it's okay if there are failures, don't give up, just continue to figure out ways to, to change direction. Yeah, I think that that's important too, because I, I would say I have invested a lot of money that didn't, the return on investment wasn't what I thought it would be. Yes. 
But as time goes on, it's like, okay, I just got a $10,000 lesson in what not to do. And I think for me, for a long time, I was afraid to invest when I lost the first tens of thousands of dollars. But as I went on, I was like, okay, now I know what not to do. And so it helps me create such a better experience for my client because I'm like, don't do that do this. So yes. sometimes we think about it like we just lost this money and we can't get it back. But sometimes it just makes us have even more integrity and create a better experience for our clients. And then also, just like you said, you've learned about creating a development team and how to read contracts. Sometimes when we talk about, to your point, Amelia, about getting a coach, sometimes when we say we're saving you $32,000 because we're going to tell you what not to do. Right. And so that's the thing. And I think one of the things I love about you, Tracy, is that you went in terms of you figuring out your own marketing, like you on the slide are the best marketer ever because it's fun to watch you on social media and all of the types of posts that you do. And many of us here either have podcasts or Facebook groups or are very active on social. So I'd love to hear from you all because I have some women coming to me that saying that they're afraid to be visible or I should be, this is my professional and I should be buttoned up with my white coat over here. And then this is personal family and friends only. And so I'd love to hear what are your thoughts about that in terms of the, the blend of the two that I see a lot of you all doing online and also how did you find your style when it came to your social media presence let's start with you Tracy because yours is really fun to watch anybody you should follow her because she is just fun to watch well I'm laughing mostly because I think really what it is is it's organic I don't have, I mean, a lot of people have these teams or they have like an idea, okay, I'm going to plot out what I'm going to do for the next month. I wake up one day and say, you know what, this is really funny or, or this is what I think a lot of people resonate with that are my audience. You continue to think about your own audience and what that resonates with them. And so mine is completely authentic. I look for a mix. I pretty much the way I do my social media is I look for the humor and things in it within our space. I look for really giving solid information. So you'll see I have a rotation. I have rotations of posts where I talk about anatomy and how important it is to understand the anatomy. I give like a practical tip. Another one would be a funny post and I rotate those and then something acute post that isn't even mine or a meaningful post that's not mine that I share about others' experiences. And I do a rotation of those and it seems to really hit that well because it's not only just me talking about myself, I'm actually giving solid information that's valuable. But I also like to keep it a little bit fun too. That's my only strategy. Other than that, I just come up with posts surrounding that. I really love that and I love connecting with people. So for me, that's been, I didn't know that people would like it. I just kind of, again, started organically putting things out and it seems to be people like it. So yeah. yeah. Shanda, you said you, you don't have a plan. You just go out there and shoot from the hip too. So <laughs> tell yeah, us about it. I have, well, Pinterest, which technically isn't social media. I do have my sister-in-law operate that for me because it's big in my area, but Instagram, Facebook, nope. But I know what my people like and I know what they need and what they want. So I usually do one social post today, something that I know they're going to like. And I have gained a pretty big following on social media based off of doing that. But I don't spend any money. I don't run any ads and I don't need to but I've honed in on what they need and like and want, especially right now with this whole coronavirus thing in my audience. And that's how I do it. And some days I don't post something and I don't care. You know, I don't beat myself up over it because no one, I mean, nobody notices if you miss a day. And I think people really get caught up in some of that stuff. But if you know what they like and you just post relevant information that's helpful, 
you're going to start gaining an audience. I love it. Yeah, I like what others have shared, you know, that it is organic. I'm, as a digital native, I was used to using social media as a communication tool. And it wasn't until I started to learn how to use social media, I guess, professionally, that I learned that some people use it as a billboard or some people use it as a megaphone to blast out their message. And, you know, that's no, no, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. It really was built to connect people and connect people with shared interests. So using it to develop relationships and to check on people and to see what people might be interested in as, or as you're preparing for your sales calls or prospecting, seeing what concerns and pain points people have um, and reaching out and commenting maybe and, you know, maybe liking or paying attention more importantly, who's liking your content on a particular topic or what particular posts seem to resonate or do well and then engaging with the people who are you know, engaging with those, you know, particular posts and, you know, even just saying thank you, you know, thank you so much for liking this post, you know, and I didn't have to, I know people are busy, so thank you for taking the time. I really appreciated it. That can go a long way. So yeah, just using social media as a, a relationship building tool has been amazing for myself and others. I agree. I think as many of us talked about, we have a lot of followers. So I would love to talk about pet peeves online on social. Karen, I want you to think about this because we talked a long time ago and I know Meredith, you go first because I know you have some oh. pet peeves when it comes to social media. Pet peeves for social. When I it comes know. to running your business though, right? Because most of the time it's people approaching us about business. I have kind of some general frustrations when I answer everybody who reaches out no matter no matter how they approach me, I, I think it's important to just answer people's questions and show that they're being heard. But sometimes I will take a long time to, to type out a really thoughtful response to somebody where I give them a ton of helpful information and free, just free advice and everything. And I think if they don't in turn say thank you, sometimes it rubs me wrong, but I don't know that it's really unique to social so much as just people reaching out in general. And I'm just not a big social media person in general, which surprises people. I really don't enjoy being on there. And so I pay someone to manage my group. And that was one of the best decisions I ever made, to be honest. It's just, it's so nice to not spend as much time on social. But I know that some people love it and that's, that's a huge part of their business. And I think for me, the advice I would give to anyone is just say, do you need to reach them through social or can you reach them another way? Are you solving their problem? My, my philosophy behind anything related to business is, are you solving somebody's problem? And I forget who said it, but are you being authentic in the process? And as long as you're doing that, it may or may not involve a lot of time on social media. And in my case, I spend so much time focusing on search engine optimization that I don't have to be on social too much. Glad you mentioned that because I think so many think that they have to do it a certain way because they see others doing it that way. So thank you for saying that. And then Karen, did you come up with one? I mean, I don't know that I have a huge amount of pet peeves when it comes to social media. I don't, or just people I, reaching out to you in general. I mean, I love when people reach out to me. Just before we came on, a woman from India reached out to me just to say, thank you for putting your podcast out. I get a lot of you know, it's great information. I get a lot out of them. And she's not a physical therapist, but maybe is thinking about going into physical therapy. So I went back and forth and we worked on some strategy with her. I mean, this is, I'm like sitting on my couch watching some TV, but it only takes a couple of seconds to go back and forth. And so I'm always amazed at who's watching and who's listening. And I think that for people on social media, you just have to be very aware that 
maybe your post didn't get a bunch of likes or retweets or likes on Instagram or comments, but people are watching and people are, they're liking what you're doing, even though maybe your post doesn't reflect that from the arbitrary like and retweet kind of situation. So what I would say when it comes to social media is you're not putting social media out there for likes and retweets or likes and things on Facebook. I mean, you're just desperate then. That's just, you're putting things out of desperation, right? Like you would never, like when we were all dating, it's not like we would go up to someone, go out on a date and be like, I love you. I love you. I love you. Oh my God. You're so amazing. You're so handsome. You're so this, you're so that. Like you would be so desperate. And it's the same thing on social media. You want to be like a normal human being and be social and not be you know, just putting things out there because you want the likes or you want, you want the retweets or you want a million comments underneath your post. Like Meredith said, if, if what you're putting out there isn't solving a problem for someone, and it just has to be one person, you don't have to solve everybody's problem. You can solve one person's problem. Like Tracy said, someone emailed her to say, because of you, I didn't commit suicide. She solved one person's problem. It's a big problem. But she solved one person's problem. And so I think if you go in with that, then I think your social media experience will be a lot less stressful and a lot more positive. Mm. I think for me, so I'll just be the one that says it. <laughs> when I'm on social and someone reaches out to me and is immediately pitching me for anything, whether it's the join like their MLM, Meredith, we've talked about this, or if it is to join their Facebook group, or to like their page and they've not interacted with me any level, none, zero. Like they sent me a friend request, I accepted the next thing I get, uh, like my page, join my group. Well, I don't live in Minnesota. So why do I want to like your Facebook page about your local clinic? I'm sorry, I don't want to. Uh, Tracy. Yeah, to tag on to that, I think there's some people that are pushing that, that are telling people, you know, become friends with them and immediately get them to like your stuff. That's how you build your audience. And I think that that's just an erroneous kind of misguided amount of information. And on the other side, my biggest pet peeve that I still to this day, I try to educate and basically the preface to this pet peeve, the preface is build your own audience. Okay. And that's a big take home because one of my biggest pet peeves is it's taken me eight years to grow my audience. So when I have a group that has thousands of people in it, I don't appreciate someone that just started their course last week, throwing it out in front of my people of, you know, let's say 20,000 people saying, Hey guys, I have a course. Do you want to sign up for it? Here's the link. That's not okay. They didn't ask my permission. They it's like, we talk about this a lot in social media. It's like going to someone's house that has a party and saying, Hey everyone, I've got a better party next door. Come on over. You know, you weren't even invited to my party and now you're going to take all my people and go take them to your party. So I think we have to be mindful that you really need to build your own audience. And if you, if you had a rapport with someone for a long time, like for example, Jessica and I have worked together on some things and Karen and I have done some things together too. And if, for example, I can say, Hey, Jessica, I know you have this awesome group with this. I'm launching this. Would you be okay if I shared this with your group and I'd be willing to give you some form of, of an affiliate? So we're creating a relationship not just, I wouldn't just throw something like a big bomb into her group and saying, Hey, everyone come follow my stuff. It's considered really bad social etiquette. And just to continue on with that, about building your own audience, it's great to build an audience. And I feel very strongly about this, this is why I'm saying it's great to build an audience in a social media. So basically Facebook groups, Instagram, but at the end of the day, make sure you're also building an audience, your own email list. That's the most valuable thing. Some people will say email is dead. 
I feel very strongly that email, almost all of our sales, we can have, it's always a one to four, one to five ratio. Whatever we sell on social media, about four times more from email lists. Even the same exact message, the same exact information with people that I think love me on social media and love what we're doing, they'll always buy, seems to be still more on an email list. So build your own audience. Don't rely on other people's groups to steal from them. And I think this, what we're doing today was based on relationships that I've made over well over a year at this point in several months and nothing in return. So Meredith and I, we got on the phone, right? And so I think about it, you were talking about a party. I think about it like online dating, just like you do, Amelia. And I used to do a lot of online dating. (laughs) So my whole tip, and we'll get into tips in a second, but my big tip is like, if you genuinely have an interest, a commonality with someone, tell them so. And you don't have to expect anything. Like I genuinely appreciated the article that Meredith put out and I told her so. And we went back and forth in our girl love fest for a minute. And then I was like, can we save our thumbs? Can we just hop on the phone? And that turned into almost a two hour conversation. And that was the beginning of our friendship, genuine. I've never seen her in person. So I just tell people to be a real person. How you would be in person is really almost essentially how you would be online. It's just written text. And then for me, because I like to run my mouth, I want to get offline as quickly as possible. Let's talk, you know? And so now you can even do it through the recorder on Facebook and such, but that's my tip. So since we're talking about tips, Tracy has said, build your own audience, have an email list because email is not dead. Let's go rapid fire top tip in your area of expertise, Shanda. Well, I would have gone right to serve your audience and try to get them on an email list. A hundred percent what Tracy said. All all roads lead back to your email list. And if you're serving them and providing valuable information, they'll find you. And then your goal is to get them on that list. And then you can enter their inbox much easier than social. And that's the number one. Serve your audience. Well, know what they need. Help them out. Answer that question and get them on your email list. Good job tips. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Amelia. Hi. Um, so my top tip would be to market like a nurse in healthcare field. We're used to having a, a process where we assess, come up with a plan and evaluate. So um, for people in business, I would just highly recommend, you know, when it comes to thinking about how to either pivot, start a new chapter, grow their um, audience or grow their revenue or meet more potential clients, assess, assess, assess discover needs. And now more than ever, empathetic marketing is a requirement. We should have been doing it all along, but because of how things are, you really, really, really need to delve into our healthcare side of things and do a thorough assessment, look for needs, look for pains and demonstrate, you know, how we understand where they're coming from, where they are, you know, what challenges you two have also had to overcome and how you can be a resource and solve their pain. Karen. So for starting your own concierge practice, and I think this can probably go across really any kind of practice, is you need to assemble a good team, and that team should include a lawyer so that they can read your contract, Tracy, right, and can help you incorporate an accountant to make sure that you are filing your taxes and the way that you should that's best for you in your situation, an investment manager so that they can help you with like money 101 as a new entrepreneur, and, and some supportive family and friends. Because you're going to go through these times where you're like, I can't do it. I've been at this for a month and I've, I'm only seeing five patients. That's it. It's over. 
So I think we can like raise your hand if you've been there, right? So, so I think you need like good supportive friends and family to say to you, no, push forward. Like, and, and I think you have to have, believe in yourself that, that your mission is so strong. And I guess my last tip would be have a clear mission, whatever your mission is, write it down and then tell it to someone. Don't just put it on your website. Have that mission and say it to someone and say it to everyone very often because then that mission is going to be part of who you are. So funny. Is it whenever I'm talking to clients and they're like, I don't have any clients. And, and I said, well, how many people know what you do now? And I said, oh, maybe 10. Maybe 10. Oh, that might be the problem. Go tell some people. Right? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Meredith. I think everybody's tips have been phenomenal. And those would have all been things that I said, just being mission driven, driving people toward your email list, which honestly, that was something Shanda told me when we first got to be friends. She, I didn't know what I was doing. I had never monetized a site, even with NGPT. I was, I was the content person. I was the writer. I didn't know how to monetize anything. So with Shanda, she really guided me. And, and one of her biggest tips was the email thing. And I think empathy, I mean, these are phenomenal tips. And for me, just one to add to that would be, I have a policy of give, 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 and then ask. And I want, I want to be really giving out mostly free content to people because my mission is to help people feel less alone and to help them have the resources they need to do something else and still feel like they're part of the rehab professions. So you still feel like a PT, even if you're working in informatics, you still are a PT first and foremost. And part of that mission just involves if it doesn't make me money, that's okay. I've heard people say, oh, it's important that everything you do leads back to making money. And I respect that, but I can't operate that way. It's just, it's just not how I do things. And it's served me really well to do that, to just say, give, give, give. And then when I say ask, it'll be maybe announcing my course launch, or it'll be just saying, hey, check out. I will share free content as my gift. So I guess it is in a sense asking, hey, come read my article, but it's not anything that's going to generate any immediate income. Oh yeah. Super, super important. I'm going to sneak in here in front of you, Jessica, and say mine, because when it comes to, I'll call it social networking or networking in general, I think people give networking itself a bad rap and they think, oh, it didn't work because I went to that networking event or I went in that Facebook group and I didn't get any clients and everybody just wanted to have coffee with me. And I'm like, hmm that's okay. Like you, the whole point of going to networking is to find out what other people need, just like others have said during this call. And just be genuinely interested and care about people. Because when you care about other people, they will care about you and what you're doing. And I have been incredibly surprised and amazed that I had a virtual coffee. I was doing those before covid 19 virtual coffee with people even if they lived in Atlanta because you know traffic and and months and months later they'll send somebody to me we never talked again but I just was genuinely interested in them and what they were doing and they remembered that so when it came to somebody that needed what I had to offer they knew somebody they thought of me so just like what you were saying Meredith it's not always about I'm doing this to get a client or I'm doing this to get money no, I'm doing this because I genuinely care about you. And I do email introductions all day, every day, because I'm trying to help people. Like that's at least the way I do business. And I think a lot of us are like this on the call that we want to help one another. And we know that the, we can do collaborations to get there and other people spend cash in terms of marketing to get there. And so I think that's one of the big differences in terms of the way we do business versus some of the other things we've seen. And I really wanted to highlight that in this. So. 
Jessica, please share your top tips. Yeah, I agree with everyone else. And honestly, for me, you know, in all of this time, that relationship marketing is, and, and honest relationships, like people you actually like and want to be friends with, has always served me far better than any kind of paid ad. And I just don't even bother with that anymore. It's just uh, the ROI is so much stronger on just true relationship marketing. And I 100% agree with create your email list. One quick tip, back up your email list. Make sure you have another copy of it because <laughs> inevitably all of your tech is going to crash at some point. And then my final thing would be, so I create content and courses. That's the primary bread and butter of my company. Never create something before you've sold it. Amen, sister. <laughs> Say it again, please. <laughs> never, never, never build a course until you first sell it. You have to be 100% sure that it's serving a clear need among your unique audience. Say no more. All right, so last question. Last question for everybody, rapid fire. If you could do it again with the knowledge that you have today, if you could do it again, build your business from scratch with the knowledge you have today, either what is the first thing you would do or what would you do differently? Karen? I would have start, started building my email list out in 2010 when I first started, 2011, when I first started this podcast, I would have started back then to kind of build out the email list. But, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. So that's my excuse. But looking back on it, I would have definitely done that way back then. Okay. Amelia? I think I would have summoned my inner male 20-year-old and taken more action quickly and worry about what not later. The nurse in me, the healthcare professional in me, we get, literally we do get paid to do research and stay in study mode and accolades for being the best researched. But in business, it doesn't translate. And um, yeah, I would have summoned, yeah, like I said, my inner 20-year-old guy, I even gave him a name. <laughs> to What's come his out name? And just do more, Ryan. Huh? <laughs> and, and you know, to just, do, just take more action um, more quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meredith, I saw you shaking your head. Oh yeah. I mean, I would agree a hundred percent with the email list thing. And I think I would also pay less attention to what other people are doing on social because I think it can be really, I mean, it's natural that we look around and we compare ourselves to other people. It's just human nature, but it can be super stressful when you put your heart and soul into something and then you see someone else being like, you know, trying to do the same exact thing. And it really doesn't matter because I forget, I think you have all said this at some point, but it's about knowing who, who is your reader and your, I guess, audience. And as long as you have people who believe in what you have to say and and trust you, then it doesn't matter. 10 people could be offering the same thing. And Shanda's had to talk me off a ledge a few times where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I've done. And now someone else is trying to do the exact same thing. And she's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I think I would just tell that to myself in the early days to say, "It, it really doesn't matter. There's room for everybody. And everybody's got their own people who they vibe with. Just like in real life, you don't have to be BFFs with everybody, you're going to, you're going to have the same people that you're like naturally drawn to and get along with. And I think that same goes with business and the internet. And I don't know, but for me, just not spending as much time on there has been, I probably would have started that from day one too. But I also think starting my groups and everything in the community aspect was 
part of the growth. So it, it worked out the way it should. Always, right? So yeah. it working out the way it should in the abundance mindset. There's space yeah. for everybody and your personality, somebody that might not like cats or be allergic like me, you know? So maybe they want to go. But then too, I think we get uh, bogged down by somebody else who's doing what we're doing, but we're forgetting that they ripped it from us. They can only go one layer deep. Yeah. We know all the layers. So once the person gets in there, they're like, okay, well, where's the rest of it? And then they still have to come to us. So there's that. All right, Jessica. Yeah, I had someone steal a complete course of mine. Same font, same title, promoted it in, the, in a group that I met her in. A person who I had invited to, to try to help her, she was kind of getting started to speak at a big live event that we put on. And honestly, I didn't care. I sent her one cease and desist letter. I didn't even worry about it because when people take your stuff, which they do all the time, they're never as successful with it. So I've kind of let that go, but that was really surprising to me that they would be that bold. So what I would have done differently now, the tech is so much easier now. So if I could start it again, I would spend way less money on tech and I would have hired right away. Um, although in some ways I did this, which was a really good thing to do, but I would have had like two people. I would have hired a person interested in growing with the tech because it changes constantly and have that person on my team. I would have spent less money on sort of like subcontractor tech people. Gotcha. Hiring is important. Um, and that's why I said like now I'm getting to the place where I'm realizing what you're saying, Jessica, in terms of you can't do everything by yourself. You just can't. And, and if you choose to, you are actually losing money if you do it. And, and also wasting time because you could be helping people in your zone of genius. Shanda, what would you say if you had to do it over? Well, I mean, where do I really start? I, <laughs> um, I would have for sure picked to have been on WordPress right away the best platform but again tech was different this was in 2014 but I would have right away gone to WordPress not messed around with switching stuff I would have the email list I was able to tell Meredith because I spent two years not collecting email so I was able to tell her right from my mistake don't do that had a more focused mission you know I would have never gotten to my focused mission if I didn't go through my journey but if I could have started right from the beginning all things perfect I would have had the focused mission I mean, that would be the big things, the tech, being on the best tech, WordPress, the email list, and understanding the needs of my viewers the best. Awesome. And then Tracy, round us off. Yeah, I love hearing all these ideas, and I'm just shaking my head the whole time. Such great information. And I feel honored to be a part of this panel. So thank you. So I think the one thing I would not have done differently at all, and I, it served me very well, and, and a lot of you have talked about this, is fiercely loyal to my people and connections and relationships. So I will go to bat, whether you're in my membership or whether you took a course with me or something, if we have a connection, not necessarily only because you paid me, but if we have a connection and I know that you have a passion for what we do together, I will go to bat and I will fight for you. And I want this to be all of us in this together. So that has been something that served me well, where I, for years I made zero money for pelvic guru. I just had my practice and it was one-on-one -on -one care. And I didn't make, but I always gave a lot and I always enjoyed relationships and that's continued to serve me. And now I'm kind of, sometimes I pinch myself. I'm like, I'm doing the same exact thing I was doing years ago, 
and now I'm making a lot more money. I was like, that's the one thing I would have done differently. So the answer to that is do the same exact thing, but monetize it earlier mm -hmm. and have the confidence to monetize it and not feel like I was being slimy about it. I now have a membership that has close to 800 people and they pay me annually. So I have this awesome opportunity to serve all of these people and to grow this into the thousands. That's the other thing. Don't be afraid to go from one to one to one to many, because I think I thought the care would go down or the ability to share information would go down. But what's happened is it's created a huge network of a community that they all rally around each other too. So it's not just relying on me, which I love. Um, I would say I'm actually the antithesis of pelvic guru. It's actually, I'm not a guru. I'm actually providing the space for everyone else to communicate and connect. And it's not about me at all, which I really love is that we've created the space. So I would have monetized earlier and I would have just had the confidence to, to know that this could be something to, I had no idea it would get this big, but it's been really exciting to watch it grow. You said my, you said a word right there when you said confidence, and that is really what I love to coach people around is confidence. But the first step before that, if you all, you all have to wait to hear what comes before confidence, because you don't just go right out of the gate with confidence. So that's what I'm going to be talking about in the online business summit for women in healthcare on Saturday, April 18th. And I just, I'm so excited to sit at your feet and learn from you all, but I wanted to start this out by everybody hearing about you, the person, and the things that, that you went through to get to the place where you know what you're talking about. I didn't want the summit to be something where we're just talking at you and you're on the stage and we should listen to you just because you're on the virtual stage. I wanted people to really understand that you had skin in the game, you have years under your belt, reps under your belt and that kind of thing. So thank you all so much for being here, for being willing to come on and share the real <laughs> with me because I think more women need to see that there are other women out here doing things differently that think a little bit differently and that we didn't always think the way that we do now, right? That you can grow into it. And if you want to hear more from these ladies, please join us for the Online Business Summit for Women in Healthcare on Saturday, April 18th. And we will post all of the links to all of these beautiful human beings on the show notes and how to join us on Saturday, April 18th for the Online Business Summit for Women in Healthcare. Take care.